Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. It's actually really timely. Um, you know, with everything that's going on in our world right now, I was thinking about, um, thinking about Christianity in general, and uh, I was having a conversation this week with a friend of mine, and just... I feel like, I don't say more than ever, but I feel like right now, more than any time in my lifetime anyway, that Christianity is actually called into question more than really probably any other time in my lifetime. You know, I think uh, people are arguing that we live in what's called a post-Christian society, um, that, you know, our society's general, um, you know, like values are based on Christian principles, but that... Um, but that most people, many people don't espouse to know Christ or have any interest. Um, there's anger, there's, there's betrayal, there's violence. Our world is filled with division. Our nation is division. Hi, Everett. Um, you know, all of this, um, all of this is what, uh, is the world that we live in. And I think more, never more than ever, do we need to, uh, to, to live by the example of Jesus. And so this series is about loving like Jesus. People, I've heard people say, you know, I like your Jesus, but I don't like your church. Or, you know, I love your Jesus, but I don't love your God, right? Or, or your religion. And it's because there's a disconnect somewhere in Jesus and his teachings and the way he treated people in the balance between him calling out injustice, but at the same time, um, his, 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 his unconditional love and grace and mercy for people that people are attracted to. And then there's a gap between him and his followers who have over the years, even over the centuries, and even the millennia, have been judgmental, have been hypocritical, um, have actually gone on witch hunts, all sorts of things to ultimately to where today people feel like uh, when they hear the word Christian, it kind of puts a bad, sour taste in their mouth. Look what's happening in the Catholic Church, right? People are now associating certain things with, with Christianity with some very negative, vile things. And I feel like this series, this message series, Love Like Jesus, is an opportunity for us to live the way that is attractional like Jesus was. If we can learn to love like Jesus did and put into some simple practices I think that in our lives with our friends, our coworkers, if we love people the way that Jesus did, that there will be people who will see him in a light that they never have before. And so that's what this message series is about. Um, and we're going to be talking about three different areas in the series to love like Jesus. The first is forgiving sinners. The second is washing feet, which seems like a completely bizarre and weird thing for us in today's context. We'll talk about what that means to wash feet. And then lastly, breaks bread. Loving like Jesus isn't just forgiving. It's not even just serving, but it's also like community, loving people and eating together and and all of that entails. And so I'm excited for this message series. Um, We'll take a break next week and then we'll come back the following two weeks and finish it off. I want to start off today by asking this question. How many of you have ever been hurt by someone before? Right, so like this is a very simple thing. How many of you have ever been hurt so badly by someone that you felt like you would never be able to forgive them? Yeah, like there are so many things that happen, you know, in our lives. Um, Sometimes people hurt us so 
badly and sometimes it's not even intentional but other times it is intentional it could be something that someone says to you it could be a, a bully you know who like when you were a kid and it left an, impact, an indelible impact on your life it could be a betrayal it could be any number of things and sometimes what happens is when we get hurt we we get angry and we get frustrated and we get defensive um, and yet as christians one of the central themes of our faith is forgiveness, right? This concept of forgiveness and that we are called to love. I mean, the hallmark of who we are as Christians is led by our Savior, Jesus, is forgiveness. It's grace. It's mercy, right? Um, but how do you forgive the unforgivable? Like, how do you forgive the unforgivable? We see in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Uh, this is just kind of like our anchor passage. We're going to read in a couple others later, but... Um, this is Jesus talking to his followers and to other people who are around. He says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So right away we see that there's, this, there's an expectation on forgiveness for us as, as Christians. That's, that's important. Like God wants to forgive you, but you also need to be a forgiver of other people. But then he says this interesting thing. But if you don't forgive others their sin, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that's really a strange passage that, to be honest, I've never actually heard preached really well. I feel like no one's ever really attacked it, and we're not really going to dive into it too much. That's a challenge for me to really dive into it more. But really what I'll say about it is there seems to be, on a, at least at a minimum, that this passage of Scripture is showing that Jesus cares not just about you and his relationship with you. He cares just as much about the restoration of the relationships of the other people around you. God is a God of reconciliation and a restoration. And for him, he says, it's great. It's all well and good that I love you and I've given you mercy and grace and I've forgiven your sin, but you're harboring bitterness about this person, this person, that person. And it changes the way that you act to them. It changes the way that you respond to yourself. You change, it, it limits your ability to find healing. So all of these kinds of things. I care so much about that that I'm going to make it clear to you that, that I expect you to forgive others if you expect me to forgive you. So like, there's this, this importance that we see there in, in Matthew 6 that, that we need to forgive other people. But how do we forgive the unforgivable. Like, how do we do that when we're hurt so badly? How do we do that when somebody is so malicious to us or they have intentionally gone out of their way to hurt our feelings? How do we forgive someone who's wrecked our family? How do we forgive someone who, who ruined our business? How do we forget someone who took your promotion from you, who, who you know, stepped on you and, and cheated their way to get to, you know, the thing that you were working for? How do we do that? Well, I want to I wanna look at, at what Jesus did, this amazing display of forgiveness that we see from Jesus on the cross. It's this, this passage of Luke 23. If you guys want to open your Bibles, in Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to be kind of you know, looking today. It's the story of Jesus on the cross. It's the story, it's very popular. Most of us have probably heard it, where Jesus is on the cross between two criminals, right? So the Bible tells us that, that he was put up there on a cross. He was stripped of all his clothes. Traditionally speaking, he would have been naked. We like to think of Jesus with a loincloth. But in Roman times, in Roman times, this was a public execution. This was capital punishment, like, like, uh, like, like, um, like lethal injection or the, uh, or the electric chair or the firing squad or any of those kinds of things, except that it also doubled as a warning to rebels. So it was not uncommon for, uh, for, for people to be walking on the streets 
on their way to like Rome or to cities, wherever there might have been an uprising, and they would, they would take those criminals and they would strip them, they would beat them, they would torture them, and they would hang them on cross beams along the side of the road in order to, in order to like say, hey, don't mess with the Roman Empire, right? It was a display not only of punishment, but one of also like warning. And so Jesus, I want you to imagine for a second, the Son of God, the book of John, John chapter 1 says, in the beginning was God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about how in the beginning he created all things, right? That all light is from Jesus. Now imagine that same God, this incredible force in the universe. The Bible also tells us that he empties himself. He willingly empties himself of his design, divine nature and embodies, takes on human flesh, right? Becomes a human being. That's the cornerstone of Christianity, Right? That he does this and he lives in this flesh that we walk around in, the decaying bodies, like with colds. I'm sure he got sick, you know. He probably had to vomit sometimes. He probably, you know, just nasty things that happens when you grow up. Maybe got in a fight when he was a kid or got bullied or whatever. Who knows? Like he experienced all of these things, ultimately leading him to 33 years of age. And he's taken to the cross for a crime that he didn't commit, ultimately, and was brutally, uh, brutally tortured and mocked. And he's put up on the cross next in between these two criminals. And in verse 32, Luke chapter 23, verse 32, we see it. And it says, two other men, both criminals, were also let out with Jesus to be executed. And when they came to the place called the skull, which is a high place so other people could see them. Again, anyone coming outside the city would see crosses up there, would see people being crucified. So the might and the authority of the Roman Empire was on display. When they came to the place called the skull, Golgotha, they crucified him there along with criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. This is an excruciating, uh, like excruciating uh, way to die. Hung up there, usually had nails put into their hands or their wrists and their feet. And they're constantly in this battle of the pain of the gravity on their body pulling them down. So the nails in their body pulling them down. But then they're also held in such a way that they're suffocating. So they would push themselves back up in order to breathe. And so it's this constant up and down. And they would be there for days. They would be there for days. Like just left there to die. Just a few feet off the ground, naked, humiliated. And the crowd is mocking him, right? Like, imagine the scene. Like, like we don't, like, public executions is not a thing that we do anymore. But if you watch movies in, like, medieval times, that people are brought out into the center square, you know, and, they, and then people are cheering. It's weird. It's such a weird scene for us as Americans, right? And again, I think it's that, those values that are permeating our nature that come from, from Scripture but that have kind of become a part of our nation. But at the time, like, this was part of it. And so there's people mocking him. Maybe somebody who felt like they didn't get healed when Jesus was walking through the crowd and they're yelling at Jesus, heal me. And he wasn't able to help them. Maybe that person's angry and that person's bitter. And they're at the cross mocking Jesus now. Kale, king of the Jews. Like, you know, and even the criminals say you could save other people, but you couldn't save yourself. Like, this is all what we see in the scripture. And then Jesus says this remarkable thing in verse 34. He says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Like in the middle of all of that, that is not what I'm thinking. You know, like, like I stub my toe and I want to burn the house down. Like my little pinky toe. It is the worst. But like, 
But like, I know that feel. Like, you know, I like bump my toe and like it just hurts so bad. I want to yell expletives. Like, if somebody walks in the room and says something to me, I'm like, get out of here, I'll kill you. Like, that's how I feel over something silly, you know? Like, there have been times when my own kids, like, like Lincoln, he doesn't mean it, but he's like, you know, thrown something at me to be funny and it hits me in a way that I wasn't expecting and it hurts and I get mad. I get so angry. And I'm imagining Jesus on the cross, like, like nails in his feet, ouch, you know, and, and like in his hands and he's suffocating, he can't breathe, he's being made fun of. I have been made fun of as a kid. I was a fat kid. Like, I was mocked, I was bullied, and I never, like, my thought was not, you know what, I should forgive them. That was not my thoughts, and yet Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Jesus is asking forgiveness for what seems unforgivable. If there's anything that's unforgivable, it's that God came to earth to give you life, to rescue you from the plight of humanity, and you murdered him. <laughs> like, that seems unforgivable. He forgives Sinners. To love like Jesus means to forgive sinners, which merely means all of us. <laughs> Just in case you're wondering, all of us are sinners. Most of us, everyone in the room here, have been wounded. And I want to just go through a few different things. Someone's abused you in your lifetime. Someone took advantage of you. Someone has betrayed you. Maybe they've gossiped about you. They've said things about you that that aren't true, or maybe they were true, but you didn't want anyone to know about them and people are talking about you. Maybe someone's lied to you or lied about you. Maybe someone's cheated you. Maybe they cheated you out of, out of some kind of like a promotion or out of money. Maybe a spouse has betrayed you or maybe as a Christian, maybe you thought someone who was a Christian and that would love you and they said something completely unchristlike to you. I've experienced that a lot this week, to be honest. On my Facebook feed, I've seen Christians talk in ways um, on social media platforms that I am ashamed of as people who, uh, who, who are followers of Christ. And, and there have been times where Christians who I think either well-meaning or even in mean-spiritedness have said things to me that have been very hurtful, been very hurtful. Uh, maybe it's a parent. Maybe you have, a parent has said something to you. And maybe even that parent's gone. I don't know. Like maybe uh, someone's holding a grudge, you know, like... And they're not even living anymore, but it's, it's eating away at you on the inside. This happens all the time that we hear the things that people say to us. We remember the things that people do to us. Sometimes even the things that we do to ourselves. Maybe we can't even forgive ourselves for some of our actions and our own behaviors. And sometimes it's not even a big thing, like a one big thing. It might be a series of little things that over time begin to gnaw at us and it turns into bitterness, you know. Like someone just picks at us all the time or they belittle us a little here, little bits here and there and it just grows on you. It creates a, uh, a life of, of, of codependency or passive aggressiveness in your home or with the people, you know, whoever it might be. Like it doesn't always have to be like this landmark moment. It could be just a long period of time of little things that erode at you and then bitterness begins to take hold. Sometimes we can't forgive other people and we can't forgive others and yet we see the picture of our Savior, Jesus, right? We see him. And the thing that has set our faith apart is love your enemies, right? Is, is forgive those who have hurt you. And that is what, made, is what has made Christianity so attractive, is this counter-cultural love that is attractive. Because when you do love someone in that way, 
It's, it's something transcendent. It is not natural to us. We have to choose to do it. And it comes from God. And when we act like that to other people, like we've seen it throughout the millennia, people have wanted it. They're craving that even though if they don't know it at first, there's something attracted to it because when we forgive other people, it, it gives a connection back to our, to our God who loves them and they can finally find what they're looking for and the same thing for us. So the question that I want to explore the rest of our time today is how do we forgive like Jesus? How can we forgive like Jesus? Well, the first thing I would say is this is that we have to pray for those who hurt you. We have to pray for those who hurt you. We see this example on the cross. Jesus literally lifts his head up to heaven and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Like, and that's in its own right, seems incredibly counterintuitive. Like my first reaction is not to pray for anybody who hurt me. My first reaction is to do something to get back at them, to be angry at them, to give them the silent treatment, to make sure that they are aware how angry or frustrated I am with them. I want them to know it. And even if they apologize, I want to let them sit in it for a while. Like that's my first thought. And yet we see in Luke chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus says, bless those who curse you. And pray for those who hurt you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who hurt you. My thought is, is that sometimes I, I want to pray like, God, I would rather you like teach them a lesson. <laughs> I mean, have you ever, any of you ever prayed for that? Have you ever, any of you ever like, like, like tried to live out this passage of scripture? Like I should pray for them, but you can't bring yourself to it. So you just sort of like say things like, well, you know what, God, I just pray that you would help them to know how wrong they were. I just pray that like, that like justice would come, you know, that your hammer of righteousness would fall upon them with fury. Like, you know, um, that's not what Jesus meant. (laughs) You know, bless those who curse you. A blessing is like wanting good things for them. You know, like, like calling down the favor of God upon their life. Why? Why? Because nothing breaks a, like nothing softens or melts a broken heart, a hardened heart like love. If there's ever a chance for you to find a way to get through to someone who seems at end, at odds with you, who seems so spiteful and hateful, it's love. It's love. And when you love someone who's mean to you, it's like, it's like the counterpunch in a video game. Like it just stuns them. They don't know what to do with it. I'm not saying that like it's going to immediately, they're going to be best friends. I'm not saying that. But to bless someone who curses you, to pray for those who hurt you, it changes things. But we, uh, I, I came across this uh, funny um, sort of poem. I wanted to read it here relating to this idea. I want to read it. It says, so I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go hating others who've done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job and just pray for them. I pray your brakes go out running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls from a windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to do. Just know wherever you are, honey, I pray for you. I think that's really funny, but clearly not the intention around, uh, you know, how we should be praying for other people. And so we see in Matthew 5, Verses uh, 43 and 44, Jesus is saying to his people, this is not just on the cross, right? So it wasn't the first time that we see Jesus like do this. We already saw him say once, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. And then here in Matthew 5, verse 43, he says, you have heard that it was said. And before I say what it says, what does that mean? You have heard that it was said. 
That basically means like you know exactly what I'm about to say. This is not the first time you've heard this either, okay? So when he says you have heard what it says, he means you went to school and you learned the Torah. You learned the law. Your family talks about it all the time. This is the way that it is, okay? This is the cultural norm, right? So he says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Everyone's like, absolutely, I will love my friends. And so what is Middle Eastern culture known for? Hospitality with people that they love. People come in, guests, they welcome you, they throw lavish feasts. They'll almost take out mortgages on their houses to make sure that they can take care of their family and their guests, right? But their enemies, they hate them, right? You see this. I'm not speaking like specific. I'm saying generally it's a part of a culture that is ingrained in them. This, this idea of an enemy is a blood enemy and I will, and if I, I, I deserve vengeance, I must take it. I will, I will actually be dishonored if I don't. That's part of much of Middle Eastern culture. So when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, they're all going, yeah, yeah, I know. And he says, but I tell you. In other words, I'm paving my own rabbinical path now. Okay? He's claim, laying claim to his, to his authority as a rabbi. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And you would like if you were there, you would see every jaw just go like in the like in the cartoons, you know, like where you just see the jaw drop to the floor. Jesus saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you would be a jaw dropping statement. Like it would be so countercultural because it would have gone against hundreds and thousands of years of culture that's ingrained in them. Love your enemies. Who are you, Jesus? That's ridiculous. Right? So we see him saying, love your enemies. And he goes on to talk about it a little bit more. The Romans in that time even worshipped, actually worshipped revenge because they had one of their gods who was the god of revenge. Like, that was part of their culture. It was Jewish law. was built into it. Eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. Hand for a hand. Blood for blood. It was part of it. And we see Jesus instead say, no, love, forgive other people. Has someone hurt you? Has someone devastated you? Has someone betrayed you? Pray for them. Pray for your friend that lied about you. Pray for your boss who has mistreated you. Pray for the parent who left you. Pray for the friend who lets you down. And why did Jesus teach this? Like, why would he do that? The reason is, is because attitude precedes action. The way that you see something will adjust the way that you act towards something. If we wait for the feeling, if I wait to feel like I want to forgive somebody, if I want to wait for the world to change, we're going to be waiting a really long time. We might be waiting until Jesus returns. That's why we have families who are so broken over years and years and years because there's bitterness that takes hold and they never address it. That's why moms and their kids or dads and their children are estranged from each other because of something that happened and they just allowed that, divide, that division to grow because they never took the time to apologize, to make it right, or to forgive. And the good news is, is that forgiveness is not only based upon the other person. You have the right to let your throat, let your hand off the throat of someone, to take your hands off of off that other person. Even if they don't ever apologize, you can forgive. You can forgive. My prayer for other people may not change them, but it always changes me. And I think that that's very true. I have found that when I pray for people, 
like my heart begins to change. I begin to think like, what made them that way? Why did they do that? Like maybe it was because maybe it's because they don't know any better, or maybe it was because somebody hurt them, and that's all they know. I don't, you know, like God begins to like soften my heart towards that person. I'm not saying, not at all saying that what has been done is not wrong, or that it wasn't painful. I'm certainly not trying to say any of that. But we cannot live our lives in such a way as though as though when someone hurts us, I'm going to hurt them back. Can't do it. My prayers always change me, even if it doesn't change the other person. We need to pray for those who hurt you. The second thing, and our last thing, is we have to forgive as we have been forgiven. To love like Jesus means forgiving sinners. But to forgive like Jesus means praying for those who hurt us, but also forgiving as we have been forgiven. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Forgive one another. Forgive other people. It's a command. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Because oftentimes what we do is we go, I forgive you, but up to a certain point. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been forgiven of a lot. A lot. There's a lot of things that I have done, some minute and some large. There are a lot of things that I have done that have demanded forgiveness when I didn't deserve it. The things that I have done over and over and over again, knowing that they were wrong and did it anyway. And I go back and I ask God to forgive me. And I'm ashamed to ask God for mercy, even though I don't deserve it. Like, you know, how many times have I yelled at my son when I don't want to and I've lost my temper and I apologize to him over and over and over again. And the next time I do it, I feel even more ashamed because I'm not learning my lesson. How many times, you know? How many times? And so I think about that. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven me. And I would say, what good does it do to hold on to grudges anyway? I heard somebody say it's like poison. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. I have experienced that. There have been some things, even in the last couple of years, that people have done that I felt were betrayal or painful and, and it's not like, you know, right off the bat, you can go, unforgiveness is like poison. Like, it takes process. It takes some time. But I found myself becoming bitter. I found myself, like, being like, you know what? They deserve it. And they might not have even known that I was holding on to this unforgiveness or bitterness. But it's poisoning me. It steals my joy out of life. You know? That's what unforgiveness does. When I can't see someone and say, I forgive you because God has forgiven me of all of these things, how I've hurt someone else. Like I'm just like drinking another drink of that poison and it just steals the joy out of my life. I can't enjoy everyday things in my home. You know, my relationships with other people is like, is like tainted a little bit because I just can't allow myself to be free. What good does it do to hold on to a grudge? What we need to do is we need to take it to God. And I, I recognize this. I mean, I struggle with it just as much as, as anyone else. I am certainly not perfect in this. But we have to take it to God and let it go to Him and tell Him, it hurts, God. This is painful, God. And then read His Word that says, like, forgive them. They don't know what they do. How can I get there? God, I don't know how to get there. I want to bless those who curse me. I want to pray for those who have hurt me. I want to love those who are my enemies. Forgiveness will not change your past, but it can change your future. It can change the way that you see. It could maybe open open the doors to a healing in a relationship you thought was long dead. I've I've thought of I've seen um, I know a friend whose mother um, you know was a drug addict 
and uh, and her her mom um, was just not there for her the way it was, and that caused a lot of a lot of internal pain and anguish for this individual. Um, and she f- was able to forgive her mother, and that forgiveness kept the the doors open between her and her mom to such a point to where she was able to over time share her faith with her and her mother came to Christ. Her mom got off of drugs and her mom and her now have a really great relationship. That doesn't happen in our normal world without Jesus. You know what I mean? Like maybe somebody gets rehab or something like that. You know what I mean? Like I, I, you know, anyone like the analytical in the room will go, well, but like what I'm trying to say here is that love is what kept that relationship at least intact or the door open. You know, if we don't forgive, we close the door on anything else for someone else. Because Jesus forgave me, I need to forgive someone else. It's essentially like setting the prisoner free. You're saying, I free you. I free you from the punishment that I feel justly required or justly, you know, I had the prerogative to give. So our first message of love like Jesus is forgiving sinners, taking the example of our Savior who was in the middle of, you know, the most horrifying moments of probably that any Christian could live or any person could live, I mean, and yet found a way to live out what he had preached. I mean, there wasn't a whole lot on the line at the time when he said, I mean, maybe the mob would have been angry with him. They could have probably just walked away with that stupid Jesus. But like, you know, Multiple occasions he told people to pray for those, to forgive those who hurt you, to pray for your enemies. But when the time came and it was the most difficult thing that he would ever do, he lived out his example. And because of it, we are here today. (laughs) My little nephew smiling at me. (laughs) Let's pray. Jesus... Thank you for your example of forgiveness. It is, this is an incredibly challenging thing. You know, it's one thing to, you know, maybe have a conversation, an argument with a family member and you say, I'm sorry, I forgive you. It's another thing to have wounds in our, in in us that, uh, that last for a long time. Ones that cut so deeply ones that shape the way that we see the world and that we see other people. Um, God, I just, I ask that you would let this message sink deep into our hearts and deep into our minds, transform it. Like, like Romans 12, 1 says, like be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let it, let it not just touch our hearts like, yes, I need to forgive, but no, let our minds be transformed in the knowledge that forgiveness is poison. Forgiveness turns into bitterness. It's poison. Unforgiveness is poison. God, that instead we would love our enemies. We would pray for those who hurt us, pray for those who curse us, God, give us your heart for other people and show us that as we do, we find release, that we find release, that we find freedom, and that the door is opened for others to find healing. God, for those of us who have something in our hearts, in our, in our history, the baggage that we're still carrying, God, will we take it to you? Call us to you now so that we can hand it to you, that we can cry out to you, that we can be honest with you and begin to do the work of forgiveness so that we can find freedom ourselves as well. God, let us be people on social media of forgiveness. Let us be people in our workplaces of forgiveness. Let us love like Jesus by forgiving sinners, by forgiving those who have hurt us and who have hurt others. Sometimes we don't forgive others because of what they've done to someone we care about. God, help us to forgive 
to forgive, to forgive. I praise you. Thank you for what you're doing here and all over the world right now. Let us be people who love like your son, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.